Hi, this is Constance Towers, and welcome to TV Confidential. Ed Roberts, along with our guest Mitchell Hadley. Mitch is with us via Skype. Mitchell is the publisher and editor of It's About TV. .com, a very fun website where Mitchell blogs about TV past and present. He also has a regular feature on itsabouttv.com called This Week in TV Guide, which in many ways reflects what he does in his book, The Electronic Mirror, in that with This Week in TV Guide, Mitchell takes an issue of, say, okay, this is, this is the week of November 2nd as we're recording this conversation. So Mitchell will take the TV Guide issue of November 2nd, 1970. And they'll not only tell us what the listings were that week, but the really cool thing is he goes through the various actors or artists who were profiled that week or the various topics in the articles of that particular issue and how they reflect what the culture was and what was important at the time uh, that issue was originally released. So it's a, it's a sort of, going back to your metaphor, inadvertent document, an inadvertent mini piece of history. I personally will never think of TV Guide magazine quite the same way as, as, <laughs> as a result. Well, one of the things I really enjoy in looking at those old TV guides is that uh, how, mu how little things have changed in so many ways. You can look at an issue from early 1960s uh, and you'll see them debating on face the nation should we get rid of the filibuster in the senate <laughs> well we've been arguing about that for 60 years yeah. since but but so many of the issues so many of the topics are just keep on going the more things change the more they stay the same i seem to be saying that about eight or ten times a year going through these but in other ways you see how dramatically things have changed too uh imagine a Saturday and Sunday. Imagine a weekend with no sports on it. And yet that's, let's say, 1963. Yeah. Um, July of 63. There's no baseball on there unless you have a local team. Mm -hmm. um, there are no golf tournaments on. You might have a bowling match on. You might have a Sam Snead golf show that's been filmed. But what you're seeing is a show like General Electric's College Bowl, which celebrates the knowledge, or you're seeing the Hallmark Hall of Fame, because they're, they're looking at the uh, Sunday afternoon as kind of the cultural ghetto time, so you'll see the Hallmark Hall of Fame, you might see the NBC Opera, you have Omnibus, which made it through all of the, the networks, and so you find that there's a completely different way of programming back then when you didn't have sports on all the time, and that's just one example of seeing how dramatic the changes are, and uh, for all the talk about how things stay the same, there are some things that are just radically different now. Well, we certainly, as a country, as a culture, we went through a little bit of that ourselves uh, in the first half of 2020 when, you know, there was a two or three months a stretch where all sports were suspended. So, you know, yes. we, 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 had to find, we had to find other ways to spend our, our Sunday afternoons. And I'm sure some people discovered your book and they spent their Sunday afternoons reading the Electronic Mirror, The Electronic Mirror by Mitchell Hadley, available Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. What are some of your favorite TV shows from the mid-50s, late 1970s, Mitchell, and why? 
Well, I'll um, start off with Perry Mason, which is one of my favorite shows. (laughs) And I'm not uh, buttering up to you or anything either. Although Perry Mason and The Fugitive are two of my favorites. But one of the reasons I love Perry Mason is because uh, you have Raymond Burr, who does such a great performance in it. But it's this idea that's captured in one of the early season opening titles, where you have mason standing alone in front of the bar in front of the the judge you can't see anything else in the courtroom it's one man engaged in single warrior combat on behalf of his client there's nothing more noble about the legal profession than that image of the lawyer doing everything he can for the person that he's representing and and of course the rest of the show is just fun is it realistic of course not is it uh is it what you're going to run into if you're a lawyer probably not do you have a good time watching it absolutely absolutely and look i I will tell you this mitchell being a watcher of television being someone who writes about television talks about television I knew that Perry Mason was part of the public consciousness for 55, 60 years. But before Mm -hmm. I wrote The Case of the Alliterative Attorney, I had never watched more than one show. So I really discovered the show for the first time as a result of writing that book. And I quickly understood, Mitchell, why it still connects with people and why it still attracts new viewers 55, 60 years later, because yes, I have lawyer friends who've talked to me about Perry Mason and uh, um, to some degree they became lawyers because of Perry, but also they like to, they will zoom in on the legal arguments that are mentioned in the course of the courtroom scenes, but it's also just great drama. It's an, mm-hmm. I, it's an idealized look at the legal system, but as Arthur Marks uh, the man who you know was with the show, produced the show one way or another for almost all of its nine-year run, he said it very succinctly. It's a game show. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a game show with five contestants, and Perry's job is to figure out, okay, who did it? <laughs> Wonderfully put. <laughs> Another show that I really like is the um, old panel show, speaking of What's My Line?, which uh, ran on CBS in its original incarnation from 1950 to 1967. And I uh, tell the story in the book about how uh, I got to watching it on uh, Game Show Network because I got a a wrong number phone call in the middle of the night. And this person called two or three times insisting that I was somebody that I wasn't. And after that, uh, I gave up the idea of going back to sleep, went out, turned on the TV, boom, there's What's My Line, Dorothy Kilgallen and uh, Bennett Cerf and Arlene Francis and John Daly. And um, it was immediately addictive. But when you look at, at the parade of of guests here's another show that isn't even an inadvertent documentary you get a chance to see all the celebrities of the time you get to see all of the people who are making news whether they're on the panel or being the guests and when you look at the occupations that they are profiling you can see the evolution over the years where uh, suddenly you see more people who might be involved in aerospace 
or technology, or you have somebody who is on there because he was the capsule communicator for the Mercury astronauts. And so it becomes this wonderful snapshot of that part of culture, but it's also a great snapshot of how people used to dress up for yeah. important events. And, and, you know, how all the men are wearing tuxedos and all the women are wearing evening dresses and uh, the nameplates in front of them will say Mr. Service or Miss Francis or Mr. Daly. And there's this sense of style and panache that goes about it. I, I, I don't think you can help but watch the show and think to yourself, boy, John. Daly is somebody I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then there's the flip side of what's my line, which is the show that Ernie Kovacs did uh just yeah. before he died called Take a Good Look, which had all the trappings of a panel show like What's My Line? And it, it, it had the regular panelists like Cesar Romero and Carl Reiner and Hans Conried you know, wearing tuxedos, and then Edie had the fabulous entrance uh, at the beginning of each show. But then once the trappings aside, then it became a quintessential, in, in many respects, a quintessential Ernie Kovacs show in which he just he, he, he just started playing with the conventions. And he whether you got it or not, Ernie didn't care. Ernie was having fun with the medium. Yep, he's just trying out bits like they were for his show, and uh, it it's it's wonderful, you know. I think if you take it as a satire of what a panel show is supposed to be like, it works perfectly. And I I know that Muriel's are not Muriel cigars, Dutch but Masters. the Dutch Masters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Muriel was Edie. But yes. the Dutch Masters lo loved the show. They didn't care whether the ratings were any good or not. They they loved what he did with the show. They loved how he did their commercials. And um, one of the things I mentioned in the book that when Ernie Kovacs died, he had one special in the can for his monthly specials. And to honor him, uh, Dutch Masters removed all the commercials so that it went commercial-free. And I think that was a nice gesture, but the commercials were so integral yeah. to understanding him and part of the show, I think it would have been a better tribute if they had left them in, because they are, again, quintessentially Ernie. Well, if I remember correctly, in one of the Shout Factory configurations of Ernie Kovacs, they have most, if not all, of the Dutch Masters commercials that, that you can watch and enjoy and 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 again it's a reflection of the time where they they actually understood who they had dutch masters you know and let him they handed ernie the ball and they let ernie play as long as he moved product which he did uh, mm -hmm. that that was it, it didn't matter it didn't matter how he moved product as long as he moved product yeah and i think the difference between somebody like ernie and let's say henry morgan who also had a lot of fun with his sponsors but sometimes at their expense and i think that that maybe was what differentiated ernie was that there there was something so likable about him so open and funny and you know you i'm in on the joke with you that that kind of thing that it's easy to understand why dutch masters would just say hey have at it ernie kovacs is one of the 10 iconic personalities of the, of the first three decades of television that mitchell hadley profiles in his new book the electronic mirror the electronic mirror what classic tv tells us about who we were who we are and everything in between the electronic mirror Available paperback and as an ebook 
Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. You can follow Mitchell on Facebook, Twitter, and it's about TV.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. The great thing about this book, there's so many areas you can you can go with it. So we'll have you back and we'll talk about this some more. But are there, are there any shows today? And, I, and by today, I mean, you know, the last 10 that, have, that premiered in the last 10 or 20 years. Are there any shows today that you think will become classic television as you define it 20 years down the road? Well, I don't, I don't watch as much of current television as some people do. So I'm speaking a little bit out of my expertise there, but I think it is difficult to see some of these shows simply because the market is so fragmented that they are not going to become as iconic as shows used to be. But having said that, I think The Sopranos certainly redefined a certain genre of drama, a show like Boardwalk Empire, some of the shows that uh, AMC, I think uh, Mad Men, I think within its limitations was very good as long as you don't take it as a uh, uh, gospel as to what things used to be like. Um, I think that there are some shows out there that uh, may fit that uh, profile, but we don't know about them because they either aren't on long enough or they are only on a streaming service and only a few hundred thousand see it. And even if it's the greatest show that's ever been made, I think that it becomes difficult for it to attain the kind of cultural cachet that transforms a show from merely being an excellent TV program to an iconic program that uh, says something to the culture and is embraced by the culture in return. Which goes back well, to... I think, that, I think there are shows like that, though. Well, it, which goes back to what we mentioned in our open, Mitchell, which is the shared experience that so many of us had, whether we came of age in the 50s, whether we came of age in the 60s, whether we came of age in the 70s, we all had the shared experience of watching certain shows or experiencing certain iconic moments on television in a three-network universe without the ability to, you know, DVR or, or watch it on our own time. If you, if you didn't watch it, you missed it. And odds are, because they had longer seasons, they didn't rerun every show. Uh, they didn't. There was no guarantee you would. They would rerun the show in the in the summer. So if you missed it, you missed it, and you you yeah. you, you lost out. And I think that is very much lost in a in a culture where we you know where we can watch things on our own, or we just have so many things to choose from to keep up with. It's impossible to experience the same show at the same time everybody else's. Yeah, I think of, uh, of shows today, Game of Thrones is probably the prime example of a show that had that sensibility from the old three network era where everybody was watching it. Everybody wanted to see that final episode and everybody talked about it the next day. And uh, I think it, you could argue that there may not be another moment like that on television where there was one episode 
like that that everybody was talking about. You remember the final episode of The Fugitive, of course, when you talk about the whole country was watching it. Well, in this case, that was almost the case. It had that enormous audience. And uh, there are other shows, Who Shot JR episode of Dallas, where people want to know that kind of thing. And I think that it, it was it was communal in that you were uh, watching it with other people. It was intimate in that these celebrities were coming into your living room or into your bedroom and that they were a guest of yours. Uh, it wasn't like being in a movie theater watching it with other people. It was very intimate. And I think that we've lost a lot of that when you can watch shows anytime, anyplace, and uh, you have to you have to watch out now for spoilers. You can't have conversations because you may be in a different port in the season. Yeah. You can binge a show, and I think that that I think the Fugitive would have been a completely different series if you could have binged the entire four seasons in a month. It isn't <laughs> going to have. You know, it isn't going to have that epic yeah. quality of Kimball's journey. And it really is epic. It's almost like the Odyssey, his cross-country journey trying to clear his own name. And I, I, it, it's like the, the one problem that the movie had, which was that it was impossible to portray that aspect of the journey. It had to be a much, uh, much condensed yeah. type of story. And because of it, it lost those epic qualities. Mitchell Hadley is the author of The Electronic Mirror, The Electronic Mirror, what classic television tells us about who we were, who we are, and everything in between. The Electronic Mirror, available in paperback and as an ebook through Throckmorton Press, Amazon.com, where books are sold online. You can follow Mitchell on Facebook and on Twitter, and it's about TV.com. Mitchell Hadley, thank you for joining us. We'll have you back, and we'll continue our conversation. Looking forward to it, Ed. Thanks very much. Alexa users, you can now listen to TV Confidential on your smart speaker by just saying, Alexa, play TV Confidential. Enabling our Alexa skill is easy. To find out how, go to televisionconfidential.com slash Alexa. Hello, this is Robert Wagner, and you are listening to TV Confidential. 45 years of the Rockford Files, revised third edition, the complete history of the Rockford Files, on television, now completely updated with more than 20 new interviews, additional photographs, and a whole lot more. 45 Years of the Rockford Files, available now at rockford45.com, rockford45.com. You can now purchase t-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash Merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash TV Confidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. 
This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.